In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Welcome, listeners, to this week's edition of Moving Forward. I am your host, Kristen Nepper. Today, my guest is Allison Walsh, who is the creator of the Wildflower Uprising. Allison, thank you for being here. Hi, Kristen. Thanks for having me. So what do you do at Wildflower Uprising? Yeah, so I am the chief curator at the Wildflower Uprising, and I help women. And there are some completely rad, totally renaissance men in the Wildflower Uprising, too. I help them create and launch their side hustle businesses. Oh, I love that. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about side hustle. What do you mean by that? So what I mean by that is... Uh, a lot of people are toiling away in their, I call them their J-O-Bs, yeah. uh, and they're wishing they were doing something different. They were wishing they had more freedom. They were wishing maybe they could travel a little bit and they need to make some side money to do that. And that's what I mean when I say a side hustle, or sometimes some people call it a sidepreneur, uh, taking oh. advantage of all the beautiful, brilliant online tools and information that are available today, you can start a side business and and find your way to freedom. The way Marie Forleo refers to a bridge job. Exactly. Beautiful. Yes. Okay. So when, so let's get into it then. When would be an ideal time to create a bridge job or start that business? Yeah. Uh, now. Now is great. <laughs> Drop everything, people. Um, and the reason for that is I think that we can all come up with a million different reasons that today isn't the day to get started on your oh, idea, yeah. right? Yep. But it takes a while. It takes a while. It takes longer than you think to get profitable, to get the people that know what you're doing and want to participate in it and, and pay you for your services. Uh, so it's it, the time is now. I also wanted to, and I'm so, it's lovely and perfect synchronicity that you brought up Marie Forleo. Oh, yeah. Uh, because in her B-School course, which I took a couple of years ago, she likes to talk about how, you know, things are hard. They can be hard, yes, but they're figureoutable and they're doable. Yeah. And so even though it, there might be a lot of reasons why a person is holding him or herself back and deciding to do it later, now is the time and, and there's t- you can find the time if you really, really want it. Well, and I something you said too triggered this thought about the law of attraction and how the thought comes first. And from the thought comes the action, but you really have to put it out there into the universe. That's the first step. So even if it's realizing I want to be a writer, I want to be an artist, or I want to leave my day job, if that's all it is, yeah, the rest of it will manifest, but you have to just put that thought out into the universe and own it first. Exactly. And you don't have to worry so much about how it's going to happen. You yeah. just have to start... After, follow the thought with some action and then the action starts just there's a wave of momentum that happens from there. You know, I feel like I was so caught up in that when I first thought about starting a business, it was answering every single question and knowing every single detail. And it wasn't until I let go of that and realized, take one step and then check your perspective from there and then take another step and check your perspective from there. And that it can, you know, the momentum will come, but you just have to take that one first step. Yeah, I love that you said that. And didn't you find that when you would take that step and then assess, didn't it bring, didn't it trigger the enthusiasm and the excitement? 
Oh, yeah. And everything evolved from there. It was just doing it and putting it into action and not even really big things, but small things. And people would just come out of the woodwork and say, well, how can I help you? Or I did this and give a suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. So I assume that uh, you had a corporate job before. (laughs) I did. So what is your um, corporate story and your corporate escape story, more importantly? (laughs) Oh, I love calling it the corporate escape story. That's hilarious. Uh, I did it in stages and it was just sort of ginning up my courage to get to the next level of freedom. Uh, What I realized in looking back at this crazy journey I've been on to where I am today, my entire life has been challenging rules and going against the grain of whatever it was that I was embarking on. I find it ironic that challenging rules, because didn't you start off as a lawyer? I did. I did. <laughs> so you learned and a lot so, to break the rules. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that was such a, an interesting, and you know this so well because of your background, Kristen, but the, it's such a delicate ba- balance in the, in the business of law between following rules and challenging them. Yeah, definitely. So, right. So I think that it set me up and I come from a long line of lawyers. So I think I was Um, you know, they planted the seeds. I don't think anybody could have expected me to go the way I went. But yes, it all started in law school. I I realized about halfway through law school that I didn't want to practice law. And the first stage of that was complete sheer, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? I'm completely panicked. Yeah. And in debt and all of that fun stuff. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I was definitely at the point of no return when I realized that. But I was in law school a little bit before you. Um, And that was, uh, it was when the trend was really starting to happen, where a lot of lawyers were leaving practice and completely reinventing themselves. Yeah. So I I had role models for the fact that I could actually get a law degree and not practice law. So that was helpful to me. I think that's helpful for everybody to have a role model or a mentor for what you want to do. Just even if you don't know them personally, to just see them on the internet or the television or what have you so that you can aspire to be that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that was, um, it was really, really clear to me that I, you know, all was not lost. (laughs) So I went, I left law school and I started working in corporate, the corporate world. I worked for a while with a company that was directly related to the practice of law, okay. um, LexisNexis. I, I know you know that one. I do. <laughs> and then I got um, on board. It was a juicy, juicy marketing gig with Microsoft. They recruited me from Lexis. I was in New York City at the time, out to Seattle. And that fed the beast for a long time, the whole breaking the rules, challenging, changing jobs, being kind of a gypsy. Okay. For a long time, Microsoft, you know, was really good for me that way because there was so much change and, you know, it was encouraged to move jobs and, and move around. I took this marvelous year where I worked. I took a sabbatical from Microsoft. They let me step away from a, for a year. And I went and ran the business development and marketing for a startup out of San Francisco. Oh, cool. What a great opportunity. It was incredible. And I was so grateful to Microsoft for saying, you know, the doors open, just come on back in whenever you're ready. And so that was during the go-go startup era. And it was pretty exciting. And 
just like with anything else, right? Like all of the things I had done with LexisNexis and with Microsoft and with this startup company, there was so much to learn from what went wrong. Oh, yeah, always, always. Yeah, it's only a mistake if you don't learn the lesson. Exactly. In fact, my, you just reminded me of something. My very first boss at Microsoft said to me, I expect you to fail. Things will fall down. Things, you know, you might blow a million dollars on something, which of course was just catastrophically scary to me. Terrifying, but yeah. Rush, she said, you know, what I want you to do is learn from it. If you don't demonstrate learning, then that's, you know, the, the jig is up. So what a gift, though, to have someone that open minded and realistic and to just put it out there and say, it's OK to fail. It's not OK to not try or not learn. Yeah, that I loved her. She was one of the best bosses I ever had. And and I, you know, I learned a lot from that because then you get you you remove the fear of failure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of freedom in that. So yeah. how did you ultimately escape? Was it with the startup or? Yeah. Okay. So it was actually not. I went back to Microsoft because they had left the door open. And then I did what a lot of people do. And that is that I um, I stepped away from Microsoft as a full-timer and I became a consultant. And that was really the final step before my big leap. Because now I was on my own. I was I was, I was shouldering all of the risk myself. Okay. Um, even though I was still working for Microsoft, there's a, there's, it's a really different relationship when you're a consultant. Okay. What that afforded me was the ability to live wherever I wanted. And mm. I was a consultant for about six years and it took me two years before I was like, what the heck am I doing still living in Seattle? Right? Like, why don't I go <laughs> live in Montana where I'm from and, right. you know, where I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Just to have some fun and, you know, travel around. And so I was sort of, stuck in my old full-timer mindset for two years. Um, and then after a several years, I was six years as a consultant, I decided, and this is just this past summer, I decided to go ahead and take that final jump into my own passion businesses. And that's where uh, the Wildflower Uprising happened. So a couple of things, I think it's so mindful of you to assess your own comfort level with risk and no, you know, baby steps were maybe necessary for you to, to step outside, but to do it as a consultant. So you still had that and you still had something that was familiar before taking the giant leap. And I think that either is okay. It's just knowing yourself. Yeah. I think either is okay too. And for me, right. Like I wanted to be a little bit more conservative when it came to how much money I had saved. Yep. Um, that was good instinct because, you know, things happen and, and not, nothing ever happens as quickly as you want it to. So, Amen. yeah, right. So for <laughs> me, the risk factor was a, a, it was a big variable there. And I wanted to make sure that I had freedom to really focus on my business and not be freaking out about money every five seconds. Yeah, I think that's really insightful. So speaking of not freaking out about money or kind of going down that road, so what was the biggest mistake you made in business? Yeah. And then back to an earlier point, what did you learn from it? Yeah, so, um, so my biggest mistake, it dawns on me that the biggest mistake was this. When I first, okay, my whole entire career I was part of teams, of course, but you know, you're always in your corporate job, you're always responsible for your thing, right? And then you're reviewed yeah. at the end of the year and did you do it right or whatever. So there's sort of a do it on your own kind of a mentality that was fostered for me my whole corporate career. And when I first started out on the, on the Wildflower Uprising path, I didn't have um, mastermind or accountability partners, 
Ooh. Yeah. I was very alone. I was very isolated. And so by one of those amazing law of attraction flukes, uh, the, the B school with Marie Forleo had at the year I took it, I think there were 11,000 people who took the course, Okay, which is just, she's a juggernaut. She's so amazing. Agreed. Right. And so there were 11,000 people, you know, interacting with each other on this, on this Facebook group. And I, at the time I had a really stringent rule that from Friday after the end of work till Monday morning, that was time for me and my man and to be outside. And I never got on Facebook. Okay. And it just happened. He had a meeting that he had to go to on a Saturday. So I jumped on my computer and a woman who was in B-School said, I'm putting together a mastermind group and I only want it to be five people, including me go. And I was the fifth person to say, to raise my hand. Wow. And this accountability group, Kristen, it was so amazing. There was a uh, professor at Columbia University, a former executive at Deloitte Touche. There was a real estate agent and a former Montessori teacher and me. Oh, wow. That's quite a team. I know. It was so diverse. We were all over the country. Experiences were just completely diverse. And that group met every Sunday for almost a year and a half. And it was jet fuel for me in terms of just, I had people that I was accountable to every week. We had a really rigorous, you know, cool, it worked really well for us, but this call had a sort of a schedule and a rigor to it that everybody followed. No one ever missed the call, even though it was on Sundays. And we all just completely blew up our businesses in the, in the course of doing that. So starting out, I didn't have that and things were slow. There was some inertia, there was some inertia. And then once those guys came on board with me, it was jet fuel. That's amazing. What was the biggest lesson or the biggest takeaway from that group? It was, uh, you can't do it alone. That for me, like, I think, We'll talk, I think, later about how misalignment in my world actually had made me sick. And part of the misalignment for me was I tried to do everything by myself. Yeah, I think that that is a big American myth that pull yourself up by your bootstraps, especially growing up in the middle of the country. It's, Mm. you know, someone might rip you off, like do it by yourself. You can't Mm. trust anyone type of mentality, which, yeah, yeah, being self-sufficient is a gift. But at the same time, it's not being human if you can't ask for assistance. Yeah, it's oh my gosh, I love that summary. It is so true. And yeah, it's it's pretty hard. I think it's hardwired for a lot of people. I had to do a lot of deprogramming to get that done. And now these women, um, it was all women in this particular group are really good friends. And we are all just, you know, just cheering each other on. And, and what I loved about that group, and it was, you know, look at the talent level that was there. There was a lot of cheerleading, but there was a lot more tough love and that I needed that. I think everyone needs that. I think that that's a powerful statement too, in the sense that people who are, you know them virtually. They're somewhat strange and new to you. They're not your best friend who wants to be incredibly gentle with your heart. You really need mm-hmm. that. Yeah, but you said you were going to do this on Monday and you didn't. So <laughs> yeah. can we talk about it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we have the, there's a place in this process for our sweet, gentle girlfriends who are just going to yes. protect our hearts. Yes. 
And I love that too. But yes, the, these women are, uh, have become dear girlfriends, but they, they do not let you, there's no, there's no leeway. And that is exactly what you need if you're doing something like this. Power partners, I like to call them. Oh, I love that. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) along those lines, what would you say, what is your superpower? Yeah. Uh, I do have a superpower. (laughs) And I'm working to rein it in because okay. uh, just as with anything, like something that's good can have so, a, you know, a rough side to it as well. My superpower is that I see people. I really see them. And I'm working on letting that not be scary for some people. For some people, they're like, oh, I want to be seen by you. That's awesome. You're lighting me up in every way. But for some people, they're not ready to be seen yet. Yeah. And I can be very, very scary to them. In the sense that you just tell it like it is? Yeah, I, I, I can tell it like it is. And, but even when I don't say a word, I think people feel seen by me. And so they are, uh, I find that people can decide that I am a threat sometimes. Ooh. Does that make sense? Kind of. I was going to actually ask for a specific example. An example would be, I have a friend and she is a dear darling friend of mine and she was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. It it was within a year after when I was diagnosed and she decided to approach her a diagnosis really differently than I did. I went after mine sort of holistically and she went a little bit more Western medicine. That is a perfectly, completely legitimate thing to do. She made an assumption that I was critical of her decision. And so for a short period of time, there was some conflict there. What I now realize I need to help people understand is that they are exactly where they are. And I'm loving on them exactly where they are. Does that make sense? It does. It strikes me. People are always a mirror to us, right? So if someone you feel like they are judging you, you're actually judging yourself or judging them, right? There's judgment going on in your own vibration. So yeah, I maybe you're a mirror. Is that another way to say it? I love that you put it in that way. And yes, and for me too, right? Like when I find that if someone is causing me to be a little bit uncomfortable, I have now learned it took before when I was vibing at sort of a lower frequency, I would have just decided I didn't like that person. And now I really do look at that person and say, oh, what are you here to teach me? Hey, Moving Forward listeners, if you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of the Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com. Oh, yeah. that's It's funny because I really I used to do that as well, and I've really shifted my perspective to what Gary Zufkoff calls your spiritual partner. And mm. anytime someone triggers me, I have a girlfriend who I adore, but I find her very judgmental, and I'm constantly in this battle with her. And I'm like, she's yeah. here to teach me something, and she's here to illustrate what are my own shortcomings and be that mirror for me. Yeah. See, yeah, exactly the same thing. Like, what are you here to teach me? I must have picked you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah because thought generates, yeah, our reality. So yeah. it must be. 
Along those lines, well, obviously, I think that we just answered this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, So are you spiritual? Are you religious? And what is the difference to you? Yeah, I'm very spiritual. I'm not, I wouldn't call myself religious. And I, and I believe I've made a really educated decision on that. Mm -hmm. My undergraduate education was at the Catholic University of America in Washington, DC. It doesn't get much more religious than that. It really doesn't. (laughs) And, and then I was educated beautifully by the Jesuits at Gonzaga for law school. So I did rule it out, but I definitely feel very spiritual. And the difference to me is that one is my own personal growth and I'm not having, it goes back to my going against the grain and and not following rules, right? Like the rules of organized religion just never really made sense to me. It just wasn't logical. Kind of along those lines. And I know having grown up Catholic myself, what that doctrine is as far as when we die. But what do you think happens from the spiritual perspective of what happens when we die? I think that we go back to source. I think that there is a beautiful, all loving, kind and good source that we come from. And I think that we process what we learned and then we choose another life and we keep on learning and we keep on vibrating higher. And I think we keep on going. Mm, I like that. I believe the same thing. Do you? I love that. Yeah. I, yeah. I've had some experience myself with reincarnation and doing um, past life regression, which I know some people are going to be like, wow, you're a lawyer. You're really <laughs> woo woo. But it's, you know, I think it's helped me understand why the people in my life are here because you reincarnate with a close group of individuals typically. And so the lessons that you have to learn and the karma you have to release with them. And I think it's really helpful just giving you perspective and helping align you with the divine. Oh, Christian. Oh my gosh. I agree with you so much. And that is my thought process too, which is why when I realized that was my understanding of what happens, that's why the people who are challenging to me, I'm so much more open to them because, oh, you're here to teach me something. Yeah. And it gives you this sense of, and maybe it's false, but this sense of control such as, oh, this happened for a reason. And, oh, I picked you. So this wasn't, I wasn't a random victim of circumstance. That's Mm -hmm. what it's given to me anyway. Yeah, me too. That's exactly, exactly right. There's, there's just a, I, I approach it now from more of a curiosity. I wonder what this is all about than a, than a, than a, threat. Yeah. No, I like that. That's really true. So what is your misalignment story? Typically, I ask this question as in from the approach of what has been the hardest thing that's happened to you? And what did you learn from it? But you used that phrase earlier. So I want to stick with that. Yeah. So what so I got sick. That's my misalignment story. Um, I was focused on career and uh, it was very, very sort of singularly focused on my work and, uh, you know, sort of getting to the next level. I was very much on my own, like in life as well as in my career. And I wasn't taking care of all the signals that were coming to me from my body that I needed to take better care of it. And then now I understand what that misalignment was all about was that I was, I, you know, it took many, many, many more years for me to get a diagnosis of an autoimmune disease, but I didn't take care of my body. And so, and I even to the point where I have gaps in my memory, like I don't remember specifics about some phases of my life. I was really sick. Wow. Uh, I can tell you everything about what was happening with my career path, but in my personal life, like there are gaps. 
Wow. But now what that what this diagnosis has done and also this path to the wildflower uprising um I take such good care of my body. It is absolutely the number one thing in any day and I understand so very clearly and I had to learn the lesson sort of the hard way. Um that taking care of my body means I'm just more present for my man and for my clients and for my friends and my family. And I appreciate, I truly believe that this second half of my life is, is already better and will continue to be better than the first half because I, I'm taking care of myself and I've learned to appreciate every single little thing. And it's been such a gift. It's funny, as you're speaking, I'm reminded of this quote from Ayanla Van Zant, and she says, you know, my cup runneth over, what's in the cup is for me. And you can't give from an empty well. And we've had, hopefully, this shift in the last 20 years from the idea that if you do anything for you, as especially as a woman, especially as a mother, that it's selfish to, you know, mm-hmm. not give everything to your children or your husband or your business or whatever it happens to be. But it's only when we fill ourselves up first, when you put the oxygen mask on yourself, that yeah. you're able to really help guide others. Can I just tell you that that quote, I have never heard it, and it literally made tears spring into my eyes. Oh, <laughs> I am it's a- beautiful. <laughs> it's tr- And it's so true. I mean, you cannot get water from an empty well. You just can't. Yeah, that's great. And that is exactly where I am. And my quality of life and the quality of my relationships is so different. So there's everything. I, you know, I did this fun Facebook post at the end of the year. And I said, you know, I made a decision in 2015 and it was the single most important decision I've ever made in my life. And the decision is this, I decided to be happy. Mm. How do you define happiness? I define, that's so cool that you asked that question. (laughs) So for me, um, what I realized was I I think that I used to, we just touched on this a few minutes ago too. I used to think that other people could impact whether I was happy or sad. Yeah. And I now understand, and it's such a simple and complex concept all at the same time. Truly nothing that anyone says or does can make me happy or unhappy. It's what I choose to do with that information. Yep. So for me, happiness is not running around giggling and being silly, right? Like for me, happiness is be feeling strong, feeling like I am a good person and I imp- I light people up and I light the world up. That makes me feel happy. That's happiness. I like that. I heard Sean Acor say something this weekend. It was along the lines of happiness is our journey to fulfilling our potential. So it's always some. It's not a destination, and I think that's something that we get so caught up in. I especially did young when I was younger, but yeah. you know, as soon as I have this degree, or as soon as I get this job, or as soon as I get married, or whatever it happened to be in my mind that was, you know, check the box, check the box, and you're not done. It's not that you turn thirty and you get the law degree and you pass the bar and you get married and ta da, here's the rest of your life, and I'm yeah. just going to skate for the next seventy years. It's yeah. always a journey. It's always a transition. You're always changing. Yeah, it's so true. And it really, you know, if there's any one thing that a young person can can understand is the sooner that they get their head around that, right? That yeah. it's the little things in life that make you, like you look back and giggling 
you know, maybe it is a moment where something just makes you laugh out loud or you went for a run and you feel really good in your body afterwards. It's just the, it's the little things that lead up to, yeah, there are great big, huge things that we should be celebrating. And I don't think we do enough celebrating in this culture, but and and those are the the milestones, right? Like you got your law yeah. degree. Oh, great! You passed the bar. Great! You know these are things to celebrate. But it's the it's the journey along the way. I completely agree. Yeah, and I don't have a lot of fond memories of sitting there for the bar exam, but I do have a lot of fond memories, ironically, of who I studied with in that summer and how we would look at each other and be like, "That's the law in Florida." Okay, well, better remember that. <laughs> you know, isn't that amazing? That is a great example of it, right? Like, yes, I and I can and I can point to times when a big campaign was going on at Microsoft and the people that I was working with and I were, you know, still there at three in the morning and somebody said something hysterically funny. And, you know, it's just a, it's life experiences. It's connections with other human beings. Yeah. That's all that it really comes down to. That's true. Yeah. So what do you think you do best? And I usually have to give people permission to brag here. So permission granted. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, so this makes me think of, uh, there's a, there's a test that you can take. So a lot of, everyone knows the Myers-Briggs test, right? Which is how you see yourself and ENFJ. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And then it's like how you people should communicate with you because this is how you behave. Right. So this gal named Sally Hoggs had created a test called the fascination advantage, which flips the concept around to how does the world see you? Oh, and yeah, that's powerful. And so what she did was she created these pivots on different things that make you fascinating. So passion, uh, power, leadership, all kinds of different ways. And then she created 49 archetypes okay. and, my archetype is the combination of innovation, which is the, the language of creativity. So I like to break the rules. I like to create new answers. And then passion, which is the language of relationships. And the archetype that corresponds with those two is called the rock star. Oh, I like it. <laughs> and so what the rock star advantage is about, it's sometimes I need to get over being embarrassed saying, I am the rock star. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but what I love is that the two the two pivots that make up the rock star innovation and passion are so very me. Um, I am an innovative person. I love to to tackle a hard, complex problem, make it simple. And then when you add that to the passion, which is the language of relationships, people to me are everything. People's stories to me are everything. And what they have to bring to the table is really what the Wildflower Uprising is all about. Um, where I can take these people who have these incredible, in my, my wildflowers have incredibly cool ideas. And then we take what's super special about them and their idea and we just inflate it. So what it, what it kind of nuts down to for me is I'm a super good teacher. I'm a good coach. I can see a business idea and know right away whether I, it's going to go or not and and keep the troops excited while we're while we're you know getting things launched i like that so along those same lines when do you feel the most free you know <laughs> i i i had to think about this for a minute cuz i had this big like oh in nature here's when i feel the most free when i'm skiing oh 
Ah, that's specific. But it's as specific as you get. And I had to just go there because it's when, you know how it is where you're toiling in front of your computer and you are, you know, getting the checklist checked off and you're getting everything done and the, you know, and then um, you go for a walk and the amazing idea shows up. Yeah. That's what happens to me times a hundred million when I'm skiing. <laughs> And the beautiful thing is Isaac and I moved to Utah and now we can literally, all the ski hills are so close to us that we can work in the morning, ski for two hours and then go back to work after that. So I'm able to go to my free happy place uh, really, really easily. The thing that strikes me about that answer, too, is that is one of those activities where you have to be singularly focused and you have to be in the moment because to not be in the moment is to fall. I feel that way when I mountain bike or if I'm surfing or paddle boarding, which I don't do a whole lot of nowadays. But it's one of those things where you feel incredibly free because you're incredibly tapped in and yeah. not being tapped in means your safety is in jeopardy. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, if you're paddle boarding, you're in the water. And if you're skiing, you're catching an edge and you're breaking your leg. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that there's something pretty significant to that in being fully, fully present. We don't do a whole lot of that today. Right. Yeah. And that gets to, of course, the, there's such a trend for people to meditate. And I've learned how to quiet my mind and meditate. But the truth of the matter is, this is a very difficult exercise for some people. So for some people going skiing or going for a hike or on the mountain bike ride is just as meditative. The benefits to your brain are just as good if you just get outside and, and singularly focus on something. Yeah, because you're being present. Yeah. Absolutely. I like that. That's yeah. a great answer. So one of my favorite quotes is, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. So my question is, what is your battle today? Oh, I love that quote. And I just so appreciate that you asked the question like that. Uh, here's my battle. Uh, the I'm on this path, this, this spiritual enlightenment, raise my frequency, bring, you know, be an example so other people can sort of feel the way I feel. I'm looking at all these amazing people who have gone way further down that path and they are just all lit up and bright and brilliant. And, um, and I'm learning so much from them. And I think that with anything where there's a lot of light, you have to also recognize that there's dark, there's shadow. Mm, yeah. And the, the, and the form of the shadow is sometimes for me, fears creep in or, insecurities creep in. I find myself wondering what people from high school think of me going, Hey, I'm a rock star. Hey, you're a wildflower. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, then I just realized, well, that's just, you know, silly. Like I can choose to, I mean, they may not even be thinking anything like that. First of all, they may not be thinking anything other than, wow, this is amazing. Right. But so it's for me to to decide not to be held back by that. But I find that the, the brighter I shine my light, the more I sort of find that I have an equivalent that pulls me into the insecurities. And then I have to tackle that insecurity and move forward again. 
I love the honesty in that answer for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, I think part of the human experience is the contrast, right? We can't know the light unless we know the dark. And so the shadow, no matter how much we try to alleviate it, it's going to follow us time and time and time again. Yeah. And we do have the power to focus on what we perceive to be a person or a situation's best and worst qualities. I was giving the example of my friend who I sometimes think that she's very judgmental of me. But at the same time, that's my choice to focus mm-hmm. on the judgment rather than the love, rather than her ability mm-hmm. to show up, rather than her ability to follow through. Right. So, yeah, I just I love the honesty in that answer because we're human. And so, of course, we kind of get caught up in that. But it's it's recognizing the contrast. It is. And, you know, um, this morning I saw a quote and I thought, well, okay, well, this is it. Uh, And it said, the more you love your decisions, the less you need others to love them. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. And so and that is definitely the process. So it isn't I guess I said earlier that it was an equivalent pulling me back, but it isn't. It's it's so much more light than fear. It's so much more light than the shadow. But the more I understand that I am so, so good and so right with the decisions that I'm making and the path that I'm on, that they can like it or not, and they get to be exactly where they are. That is not for me to comment on or care about. Who is it, Martha Graham, that said, what other people think of me is none of my business? Yeah. I love that quote. Yeah, that comes to mind, <laughs> yeah, too. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a big one for me. And I remember when I read that quote the first time, it was tectonic for me, Kristen. Yeah, no, I definitely it took me a while. I remember I had to hear it because I have a friend who's a dancer and I had to hear it several times before I really could come to terms with it. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's none of my business. It's about me like <laughs> arguing with the quote, you know? So. <laughs> no, I, it's so true. It's so it's so natural to do that too, right? Like yeah. what? Because of course, like we're so egocentric, of course. Yeah. Of course. But the more you un- you disattach, is that a word? Yeah. Unattached from the caring about that, the, the happier you will be. Amen. Yeah. Well <laughs> said. So Ali, if people wanted to contact you, if they wanted to learn more about your coaching programs and your work, is there a way for them to do so? Are you available online and on social media? I am. I'm actually really all over my um, Wildflower Uprising page. It's called the Wildflower Uprising, and you can people can message me there. They can go to my website, which is the wildflowerupris.com, and go to the contact page, and that goes straight to my email. And I've had some really fun conversations with wildflowers over there as well. Beautiful. We will have all of this up on our website, so people can contact you that way too. Great. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. I love this conversation. I did too. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Allison or any of our guests, please go to bemovingforward.com. That's bemovingforward.com. Have a great week and satnam. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and bemovingforward.com. All rights reserved.